So hi, and welcome to the podcast. Today, I have the privilege of interviewing Rob Parker, who is the leader of something called the Plant Church in Mawa, New Jersey. Did I say that right? Yes, you did. And uh, it's the place he grew up. I, and before we get into talking about the church, early in this call, we were talking about, uh, you were quite the theologian 20, 30 years ago. Uh, while you're doing a little bit of drugs, tell us a little bit about that and how God called you to the city where you grew up. Yeah, <laughs> great. Well, I was telling what I was telling Ralph was tonight. I we just started another missional community, and uh, our church was really built and birthed on this the missional community theology. And I say that because really being missional is really more of a theology than it is a, a philosophy of ministry. I think we think missional communities are more of a program. But um, the guy who I'm leading with tonight is one of my best friends from high school. He actually works for JP Morgan right now. And um, we actually are meeting tonight. But it's so funny because 30 plus years ago, we're sitting around doing things we should have been doing, talking about the things of God. And next thing you know it, I become a believer. He leaves his Muslim background. And now we're leading a group together where we get to just share Jesus with other people, and we are, we are loving it. Wow, that's really, really cool. Uh, I, I, I want to get into a little bit about the, the, the history of your church, about um, church planting efforts, those kinds of things that you're doing, and we'll even talk a little bit about COVID, but I, I, I want to get this thing going by talking about God in the bar. And before we get done, in case I forget, I want to make sure that uh, there's some links that I can post with this podcast, because some people need to learn from exactly what you're going to describe in the next few minutes. Talk to us about God in the Bar. So we live about 16 miles from Manhattan. Actually, from my house, my skyline is Manhattan. Um, I live in a high, uh, very affluent area, in a high Catholic area, and a high Jewish area. And so I was driving down the road in the very beginning of our church plant days, and I really felt the Holy Spirit say, I want you to go where I am. And being a missional leader and being a missional church that's built on missional communities, you know, we met in a school for our services, but everything else was in the community, everything. We were missional before missional was really even a, a thing. And so we were trying to figure it out as we go along. And I said, okay, Jesus, where, where do you meet? And I kid you not, the Holy Spirit said to me, I'm in the Mawa Bar and Grill. Will you go be with me? And so I knew the owners from the Mawa Bar and Grill because I grew up with them. And so I called my buddy Craig, who, who now he's actually one of my really close friends. But back then we were more, you know, buddies. We'll call it buddies. And I went to him and said, hey, I got, this, I got this vision of really wanting to just have the opportunity to reach the local community, people who will never go to church, but will be able to engage in the things of God. And he said, hey, give it a try. Let me talk to my dad. So next thing you know it, I actually went to our denomination. I said, I'm going to try this thing. And they said, if you raise the money and it works, we bless you. If it doesn't work, you're never doing it again. Oh, that's cool. So um, no joke, within less than two weeks, I raised 10 grand. And that was our God in the Bar budget. And now every year our church has a God in the Bar budget line. And we just started inviting people and having an open dialogue. And the first thing I would say is, what's the difference between a dialogue and a discussion? A discussion always comes with a conclusion. A dialogue is introducing people to being able to talk of things of Jesus. And uh, I kid you not, Ralph, 
this has become a church for those who will never go to church. We have led people to Christ there. Um, it, it's actually turned into this thing that every Christmas we do a huge caroling sing-along that we have to have at least two sittings for the whole restaurant to be packed out to be able to do a Christmas caroling event. It's been this beautiful thing. And I'll never forget, this is an important part of the story. Um, it was probably the third year of doing God in the Bar. And as I was doing God in the Bar, my buddy's father was sitting right in front of the door of the room that we meet in. And he called me over and he said, hey, I want to introduce you, Rob, to some of my friends. And he goes, this is Rob Parker, he's pastor of plants. And I am so proud of what he's doing in our bar. He says, this is God in the bar. And look at that room filled with people who want to talk about the things of faith. Well, the reason that is significant, Ralph, is three months later, he passed away. Wow. And so in that, his son and I have built this beautiful friendship. And whenever there's a crisis in our community now, there's two people the mayor calls. One, the bar, because they'll supply the food. And two, they call the pastor of the plant to be able to minister for the local community. And I find it funny, and I got to tell you this story because you asked me about my, my bad boy days. I'll never forget when I was at my friend's house, so stoned, and I started singing these Christian songs because I grew up in the church. And my buddy goes, dude, you're going to be a pastor one day. I said, I'll never be a pastor. He goes, no, I'm serious. You're going to be a pastor one day. And I said, I'll be a pastor of marijuana. <laughs> and now the name of our church is The Plant. And I'm like, God has a sense of humor. God will not be mocked. <laughs> now he's really provided opportunities for us to not only really create a church, we've helped plant a great number of churches. We have pl helped plant over 13 churches. We've planted two of our own churches. But now we have a, a network in the Northeast called Launch that we have worked now with over 30 something churches to plant missional expressions in their communities. So it's, are, are there, are there uh, successive generations of churches now where, where one, one church gets planted and it plants another and they plant another? Is that going on yet? That's really us, but not yet. It's, it's beginning because of the way that the timing has happened. We're only, we're only 12 years old. And so there was so much question about the whole missional movement that now it's beginning to take place. And so we're beginning to see that. Yeah, that's cool. So come back to, because there's bound to be people, I'm, I'm, I, I, there are some, uh, some folks that are just wired that you, you, you get the, the, uh, the tip of an idea and you run with it and, and, you, and the Lord supplies and you just figure out how to do it. There are other people, usually the, the later adopters, uh, you know, that, they are going to need somebody to hold their hand just a little bit. And we try so hard to, to be dis descriptive, not prescriptive. But I'm finding that some people need us to be prescriptive. Suppose that I wanted to go out and uh, I'm retired, but let's say I'm, I'm willing to put um, $3,000 up, my own money. And, uh, you know, whoever's listening to this, you can extra extrapolate from there if you're a pastor you probably have access to money that I don't, but I want to go do this. What, what am I going to do with the money for one thing? How am I going to get started? How am I going to approach the bar owner? Um, what am I going to do with money? Do you guys buy dinner? Where, do, you buy, do you buy the booze? I mean, what do you do? 
Well, here's the thing that I've really learned. And I will say that I feel like God has called us that. So I got my doctorate in semiotics, studied under Leonard Sweet. And Len had really taught us what does it mean? Semiotics is simply this. How do you take the never changing gospel and make it transformative in an ever changing culture? And so it's so imperative for us to understand that we need to be the spiritual eyes in our community. God on the bar is not going to work for everybody. It really has to do with the context of which you live in and the context of your leadership team. And so I think the biggest thing that we have to engage people in learning is a new sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, where whether it be to start a God in the bar or a different ministry, when that leader catches the vision, it gives them the empowerment to go out and raise the money and the passion and the conviction to go to that bar owner. Let's just call it God in the bar to sit down with the bar owner, to have the right posture to share the vision so that they will adopt it as well. And so I know in my context that the only way this would have worked was one, it had to be a dialogue. It had to be an introduction Two. I knew that I had to upfront everything by dinner and drinks. So what we do is we buy appetizers. They're the greatest wings in the world. Go Mawa Bar and Grill. That's your little plug. Um, so everyone goes there for the wings and the beer. And so we just bought food for every table. And then every person gets two drinks. Okay. They get unlimited soda, water, anything non-alcoholic. But we keep it limited to two drinks per person so that we don't get ourselves in trouble yeah. or call and you want to stumble. We tell everyone who has a drinking issue, do not come. But we also do this, Ralph, and this was the significance of why the board jumped on it, my, my leadership team. You're only allowed to come if you bring a friend who is either far from God or is wrestling with their faith. And so that way, it's an equipping time where our, our followers of Jesus in our church are being equipped to bring a friend into a safe environment because the truth of the matter is in the Northeast, everybody drinks beer, right. but they don't know how to talk about Jesus over a glass of, you know, over a can of beer, a bottle of beer, or a glass of wine. So the big, the big win for us was we had a lot of our leaders saying, you're teaching me to have gospel conversations over the normality of life over a drink. And so there's no preaching at God in the bar. People sit at the table. We give them questions, point questions, we give an introduction and we let them go for it. And then again, it's coming back to the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit that me, the, the, the director of the whole thing, is able to hear what people are learning in the moment and then give a gospel response in the midst of it. So then let me just kind of, again, there's, there's people who kind of need their hand held a little bit. So yeah, you start actually with believers, people you know. And you invite them to invite their friend, and the and the ticket in is their friend. Yes. And then you do a little pitch for a few minutes yep. to kind of get it going, and you got some pre pre prepared questions. Yep. And then they they just go open dialogue, and and so there's no conclusions. We're not we're not forcing faith on anybody. We're just yep. going to let them talk and answer questions. We're getting the the we're jump starting the conversations that'll go outside the bar into life. And then, at the, at, and this part scares me when I hear you say it, 
um, doesn't scare me about you, but it scares me about the guy who's listening. You are doing some kind of a wind up at the end, but just what little I know of you, you're not going to preach a little sermon. You're not going to try to put a, a cherry on top of the ice cream sundae. Uh, well, how, how do you handle that part? Because that'd be the that'd be the place to think it all fall apart. Yeah, it, it, it'll preach you. Yep, that's good. So here's how I look at it. People are looking for a blessing. They're looking for a blessing. And so what I do is, so let's just take, you know, my favorite passage, Mark chapter five. Okay, the, the, the guy from Gerasene. And the beauty of the narrative is that, and they found him whole. And so we would have certain questions about the narrative. And, and we joke around, we say, okay, who's got a God voice? So someone read the passage, someone reads the passage and it becomes a big joke and people are laughing. And then I say, now you're going to take 20 minutes to go through these questions. These questions are springboards. Every time they talk for over 45 minutes. And then I come back up and I say, here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell me the narrative, not the story. Scripture is a narrative. It's not a story. Stories are make believe. This is a narrative that, that we as a church hold to. And we let people retell the narrative to us. And as the leader, I just be keen to commonalities of what people are saying. And then at the end, I say, okay, so this is what you're telling me. And I say, so what is God speaking to us today? And I just wrap it up with a blessing. God's desire is that we find wholeness in him. And this is what I want to bless you with. Will you allow me to bless you with the opportunity for God to begin to give you wholeness in this day? And it's not easy. And then what happens at the end? People stay around for about another 45 minutes. And that's when the conversation, they pull you aside and say, hey, I'll tell you why I'm not whole. I'm filled with anxiety. Let me tell you why I'm not whole, because I'm filled with anger. And then it gives you moments for little gospel opportunities to really push in more. But we, do, we, don't, we don't shy away. We say we keep Jesus at the center of everything. But we're not going to bait and switch you. And so what we do is that way there's a building block. So when people come back, they're getting a, a vibe. And I'll, and I'll say this one thing. So much of ministry is posture more than anything else. And so for the leader, it's important that that's your posture. You're not coming out with an agenda. You're coming out with an opportunity to connect people within your church community and the community surrounding them. And it seems to me that um, the point is that you're connecting them with Jesus. You're not doing some sort of a little, say, a two-minute prayer, which I think has become superstitious, honestly. Uh, last night, we're, we're doing our... our our microchurch <clears throat> online. And there's a woman from another church who uh, comes to the microchurch. She comes infrequently. Uh, one guy from the church that I attend is, uh, I mean, he's just a gifted evangelist. He's, he's maybe 55, 58 years old, uh, has had a, a business building swimming pools all his life. He's retired early has a beautiful house that he, he just lets people do everything from funerals to, you know, to non-Christians, just whoever. Uh, we had a church party there, big house, overlooked San Diego. All his neighbors who don't know the Lord showed up at the church party. It was a crack up. Yeah. And so right now there's a guy he's been uh, sharing the Lord with. He's brought him to church a few times. 
that guy's dad has COVID and is in a, in a, a medically induced coma and took a turn for the worse. And so we're, we're struggling with Joe. I mean, he's our friend. It's his first time to come to the thing. He was struggling to make his iPad work in, in terms of a Zoom call. And, and this lady shows up late for the meeting. I didn't even know she was there because the way I had my Zoom set up, I couldn't tell she was there. Somebody said something to her, invited her in, and she starts in. She goes like for 10 minutes preaching at this guy, Joe. You know, it's our responsibility to take the gospel. It's our responsibility that this man pray and ask Jesus in his heart. And whether he does or not, it's our responsibility to bring to him. And just boom, 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 boom. And finally I had to go, you know, that's enough preaching for right now. And it's like, if I lose her from the group, then maybe that's a good thing. And defended the guy. I mean, for one thing, the guy's not really going to pray when he's in a coma. It's his son that my friend Joe's trying to evangelize. And the struggle Joe's going through is, hey, I've been praying with this guy and telling him that Jesus can heal your dad. And well, what if he doesn't, you know? Yeah. And, and Joe had just lost somebody else that he'd been praying with. This lady just totally exemplifies this thing of, we got to get you to say this little 30-second, yeah, I accept Jesus into my life and all that. I don't see any of that in the New Testament. I know it was invented by D.L. Moody, who was a shoe salesman in the 1800s who knew how to close a deal, and it's a, it's a deal closer. But the issue is that people start to follow Jesus in their heart. And it seems to me like what I just heard you describe is once I get that dialogue going and get them looking heavenward, that's what needs to happen. And, and it'll unfold on its own. And, and we'd be foolish to end it with a little pray Jesus into your heart in the last 30 seconds we're here. Respond to me on that. So here's a, if, if you want me to respond to that. So here's a very interesting thing. I just started up a new group for, for men on Wednesday nights and they're kind of the, the, the outliers. They're right on the, right on the edge. One guy's hungry, but he doesn't want to do typical gathering. And then his friend, his neighbor, just became a follower of Jesus. His name's Chris Lambricks. And this dude is just fired up. He's like, we're, we're going to say, we're going to start looking at Acts. He already read Acts twice. And the fact of the matter is, Ralph, I think we all have a weird conviction just like that woman, if we're fair. We, there are times we're like, I really want my friend to know that they know that Jesus is Lord. So I was preaching during December and we were talking about the spirit of Christmas, the Holy Spirit in Christmas. And I finished up with the illustration of chocolate milk, how the idea is like, you know, here we are, our humanity is the milk, Holy Spirit comes in, it's the chocolate milk, the problem with the church is, we're like the chocolate milk that sits on the bottom of the cup, but what the Holy Spirit wants to do is he wants to transform us by stirring us in. So I just pulled this guy, Chris, up, baby, not even a Christian yet, and I say, tell me the difference between the milk. He drinks the one milk, he's like, it tastes like milk. I said, now taste the one that's stirred, and he goes, that's chocolate milk. And, and so I, in front of everybody, I laid my hands on him and I just said, Holy Spirit, transform my buddy. Do whatever you want. And he was just there, open heart, open hands. And like a week later, I'm like, I'm going to go to lunch with him and I'm going to make sure that Jesus is his Lord. So we sat down at the Majestic Diner and we're talking and my heart's racing. I say, hey man, I just want to tell you how proud I am of you. Jesus is working in your life. I think today 
God wants you to really declare he's Lord. And he goes, he goes, he goes like this, he goes, he goes, Rob, stop. Two Sundays ago, the chocolate milk thing, Jesus transformed my life. And I felt like the Holy Spirit just smacked me and said, I'm in control. As much as you try not to be in control, you still try to steal control away from me. They're my children. They're my people. They're my creation. And they're the, great, the greatest creation of all. Leave it alone. <laughs> we, all have, we all have that bent, in all fairness. So I can sympathize with that, but I'm telling you, there is that, that stupid evangelical nature that we got to close the deal when we know this that God has created us for his love and our worship to him. And, and what I hear you saying, and, and, I, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it's, it's the relationship, it's the dialogue that is introducing people to Jesus. And, you know, too often, and I've done this a million times, too often uh, we're sitting in a, in a church service, and then at the end, we, we throw on this little three to five minute thing, and then we're going to pray the prayer at the end. The, the, my saving grace has always been my assumption that if I do pray that prayer with them, they probably accepted the Lord last Tuesday while they were thrashing it out with their friend or, you know, whatever happened. And so I'm kind of going to seal the deal. But, but I, I think it has become um, almost an, an impediment because we're going to stop that dialogue so that we can force this, this self on people yeah and it's the dialogue that we need to keep open and that's that's really been a blessing i want to go back to go, go ahead if i can just say one thing i think that's the difference like i think people i think in our evangelical world and we've all heard this that people belong after they believe i've learned that when we allow people to belong to our church communities that's when they believe and i can tell you stories of a buddy of mine jerry that he has been following us and I see how Jesus is working in his life. But if I try to do that prayer thing with him, it's over. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's a scam. Yeah. And so I'm just trusting the spirit of God to do the work that he begun in Jerry. And it was so on Easter Sunday, the night before Easter Sunday, my buddy Jerry texted me and said, Hey, just want to let you know, I love you all. I'm thinking, I didn't know how to respond. And I'm a, I'm a, I love you, man, type of guy. And I didn't know what to do. The next morning, I didn't even realize this. He watched our service and he says, your mass made my day. Like, wow. let, let, let the spirit of God do his work. And I'm just learning that I just got to get out of his, get out of his way. 